Father, we thank you for Randy. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for um, just the beauty of the uh, spring thunderstorm we experienced last night and the peace that we're experiencing today. And Father, I pray, Lord, that we would be the sorts of people who help people in this world experience that kind of peace after a storm in their lives, Lord. I know that most people are going through that and uh, through difficulty in various ways. And Father, I pray for an equipping today from Randy to really reach out to people in our world who are hurting and who are struggling, who need the gospel, because it's the only solution. And so uh, I pray for what Randy's going to say right now, Lord, that you would empower him and also give us ears to hear. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, it is an honor to be here with you guys today. Appreciate uh, the privilege. And i um, looking forward to this time as well as tomorrow. Always good to come here. I've been here a few times now, and uh, I wish we weren't so far away. I could be here more often, but yeah. get here when we can. But um, just by way of introduction, for anyone who doesn't know uh, who I am, I'll uh, fill in where Nick left left out. But anyway, no. Uh, married 39 years, got four grown children, 16 grandchildren. All my kids are serving the Lord in the ministry, and we praise God for that. Thank you. Thank Him for His grace. Uh, my son, who's the youngest of my four, who's 33, he's an executive pastor at our church. He'll be preaching tomorrow for me in my absence. But um, God's just really been good to us over the years. Been in ministry now 30, 30 been pastoring 35 years. Three churches, the third church planted the second church I pastored and um, been involved in a number of church plants but uh, and last Sunday celebrated 45 years since God called me into the ministry so 45 years I was a teenager I didn't go into ministry immediately uh, matter of fact I ran from it <laughs> tried to get out of it but uh, I did surrender 45 years ago and then had regrets and second thoughts until God got my attention and said no I called you you're not going to get away so it took about 10 years to, to actually get into what I was called to do but and God's just been opening doors over all these many years and had the privilege to meet these guys through the network that we belong to at Kingdom Ministries and uh, a number of years ago I was asked to take the lead role uh, I don't really even know what the title would be facilitator <coughs> and um, really honored to be involved with a number of guys across the country and uh, so honored to be connected here as well. So anyway, that's, that's just a little bit. Uh, I want to talk today about sonship. You know, sonship is a real passion of mine, um, especially when it comes to spiritual sonship. Uh, it's a topic I think most needed today as men are lacking too often in their spiritual development, and I believe it's because we do not know who we are or what we're supposed to be. And, and even when we get some degree of understanding of that, we lose, we lose sight of it from time to time, or we lose focus. And uh, I was talking to our church this past week, and the Lord just spoke to me in the midst of my message and gave me uh, a word, and that was that faith and focus are one and the same. You know, uh, 
faith is about focusing on something to the degree that you believe it strongly enough for it to impact your life. And I think too often when we lose our focus on the source of our strength, which is Christ, you know, we lose our faith. When you lose focus, you lose faith. And, um, and I think sometimes we get distracted by life, we get distracted by circumstances and situations. And when that happens, we forget who we are. And when we forget who we are, we act differently than what we've been designed to be. And uh, so I think we've either lost our identity or we never knew uh, what our identity was to begin with. So we strive in the world. We, we tend to stress out and be tension-filled. And, and anxiety <clears throat> affects us as we exert to find out who we are. And all the while, the scriptures teach us who we are in Christ. And so there's some things I want us to talk about this morning. Three things, primarily, if you're making notes or mental or written. Uh, I want to talk about identity. I want to talk about anointing. And I want to talk about destiny. The, the first leads to the second. Identity leads to anointing. And the second leads to the third which is destiny. I often like to say it this way. Identity is who we are in Christ. Anointing is who Christ is in us. And destiny is where the two go together. Uh, identity is who we are in Christ. Anointing is who Christ is in us. And destiny is where those two things take us together. Um, the enemy, as we all know, will challenge us uh, just like he challenged Christ. And you probably know the story of Christ in the wilderness and the devil comes and begins to challenge Christ. That's found in Matthew chapter 4, uh, the first 11 verses. And we see that Jesus, the Bible says there, for sake of time we won't read it, but I think you're familiar with it. It says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into a confrontation with the enemy. And it's interesting because he was led into that confrontation. And I think that's exactly what the, the Spirit of God does in our lives today for significant purpose. He doesn't just do it randomly or to have fun with us or to get, get a thrill out of watching us struggle. No, there's always a purpose behind anything that God does through, his, through the Spirit. And the Spirit led Christ into that confrontation with the enemy. And it's interesting, if we read that whole story in context, Jesus had been fasting uh, before the enemy ever approached him, which meant that he was physically weak. And uh, it, was this, it was at this time the enemy comes and challenges Christ's identity. And that's the first thing that we must understand from that story. And that's what happens in our lives when we get physically weak, when we get emotionally weak, uh, when we're not in the Word, uh, we're not you know, where we need to be. Now, Christ was weak for doing a spiritual thing, but I think it was purposed in order to show us how even in our weakness we can overcome the enemy. And, and, but sometimes we have self-induced weakness by virtue of our loss of focus on what we're supposed to be focused on. Um, but either way, we can regain our strength. We can regain our balance, if you will. But in this story, uh, it was at this time that his identity was challenged. The enemy said in verse number 3 of that passage, he said, if, and that's a huge word, 
if or since you are the Son of God, that's another translation of since, command that these stones be made bread. Now the enemy challenged him in his identity based upon his recognition of his physical weakness. And therefore he challenged him to do something with these stones. Turn them into bread. And the challenge was if you are who you say you are. Again, identity, right? If you are who you say you are, then take advantage of it and use it for personal gain. Now, it's, in, it's important that we know who we are and that we declare who we are in Christ Jesus. But it's never right for us to take advantage of that for our selfish gain. And that's what the enemy was trying to get Jesus to do, was to take advantage of who he was, use his power for something other than the purpose of the Father. And he said, take advantage of it, perform a miracle to meet your need. You're weak, you need food, you need sustenance, turn these stones into bread. And uh, if you are who you say you are. So his identity was being challenged. Now this is a magical, mystical, and manipulative way of operating that goes against the very will and the very word of God. And, And sometimes, you know, I think the enemy comes to us and challenges us. If you are who you say you are, then do something for your own glory as opposed to the glory of God. That's what the enemy was saying to Jesus. Do this for your glory. Do this for your need. Have your need met as opposed to fulfilling the purpose of the Father. Satan's goal was to get him to take advantage of who he was and to deal selfishly. Selfishness is a, is a huge adversary Uh, to our destiny and uh, if Jesus had obeyed Satan here's what would have happened uh, potentially now again he's God and we know Jesus was the son of God and therefore he was going to masterfully fulfill his purpose but again uh, supposing that he gave in and there's always debates theologically could Jesus have sinned you know all that kind of stuff we won't get into all that but let's just suppose that he gave in to Satan, here's what would have happened. And keep it in the context of your own life. If he had given in, then he would have been from that day forward dependent upon his own ability rather than upon the Word of God. And that's exactly what happens to us. If we give in to Satan, we become dependent upon ourselves and we rule out the source of our strength, spiritual strength, which is the Spirit of the living God and the Word of God working together cohesively. The second thing Uh, he would have become performance-oriented the rest of his life, more than likely, or at least the seed would have been planted where he would have become performance-oriented rather than faith-driven. And that's really what we see in a lot of men in the church today is that we're we're performance-oriented. We always want a pat on the back. We want to be recognized for what we've done or what we're doing. Um, You know, that just becomes part of our, our makeup when we do not respond to the enemy the right way in the spirit. And then thirdly, Jesus would have been an unproven vessel as a sacrifice in a difficult moment. And the Bible teaches us that we should be living sacrifices, right? But when we lose our focus and we give heed to the devil's words as opposed to the words of God then what happens is we become an an unproven sacrifice, uh, actually an an unqualified 
individual for sacrifice by not responding well to the Word of God. When we look at this encounter here in the wilderness, we have to go back a little bit earlier and, and recognize <clears throat> that Jesus' victory in the wilderness was conquered because of, of just his focus, his remaining focused upon the Word of God. Matter of fact, he responded to the enemy by using the Word of God in his life. And then later we see him come to the Garden of Gethsemane. You see, the Garden of Gethsemane experience was conquered because of the wilderness experience. He could go to the cross. He could become that sacrifice, that proven vessel because of overcoming the enemy. And again, everything that I'm saying is foundation stone to where we're going relative to sonship because Jesus is modeling for us how to become a mature son capable of overcoming the enemy and fulfilling his destiny and purpose for which he came. In both the gardens of Gethsemane and the wilderness experience, in both of those situations we see the way humanity should respond, should have responded in the Garden of Eden. I mean, think about Adam and Eve. I mean, the serpent in the Garden of Eden said to Eve, you shall not surely die. Satan placed great emphasis on her identity as God's creation, but he was basically playing on her sympathy by saying, wait a minute, God loves you so much. You can do this. He's not going to judge you. He's not going to chastise you. He's not going to say anything to you. He, so her identity was being challenged as a, as a creature of God, a creation of God. He says, you, God's dear child in creation, I wrote this quote down, you, God's dear child in creation, mother of all, shall not be harmed by this God who loves you so much and cares so deeply for your well-being. I mean, I'm, I'm adding words to it, but this is really the context and the concept that we must uh, picture with regard to what Lucifer was saying to her. You have the right, basically, he was saying to her, and the privilege to do this thing because of who you are because of who you are he challenged her on the basis of who she was and in reality what he was doing was challenging God's word with her identity and the same challenge was made to Jesus based upon his identity really what Lucifer was doing because honestly he he's not omniscient so he wasn't really clear that this was the Messiah he knew this was Jesus but he didn't know Jesus was yet the Messiah and so he was challenging God, really, the Father, based upon the present physical reality of Jesus, who was there to represent the Father as a son. And so in that, we also see that uh, his anointing was challenged. So his identity was challenged, and now his anointing was challenged. In the midst of physical weakness, that's what happens to us. Our anointing is challenged. Every one of us has an anointing. If you're saved, if you're born again, you're spirit-filled, there's an anointing on you to perform and to, to uh, pro be productive in the spirit uh, with that power that is extraordinary. It's not your power, it's the anointing, it's the spirit of God upon you. But in the midst of this, he was challenged in his anointing. The enemy recognized uh, his weakness just like he recognizes our weaknesses. And he works hard to bring us down at the very moment that he figures it out, what it is about you that is lacking. Remember, he can't force you. 
the enemy cannot force you into anything. But rather, he, he must get you to agree with him and act upon that agreement. The difference between what Adam and Eve did, Eve in particular, but I'll, I'll lump Adam in there because Adam's responsible. I mean, he was primarily responsible for Eve. But the difference between their response and Jesus' response is that they agreed with Satan, whereas Jesus did not agree with Satan. He challenged Satan by the Word of God. He believed more in the Word of God. And Adam and Eve doubted the Word of God. They lost their focus, right? They lost their faith for a moment. And it's all it takes is a moment, and the enemy seizes. And so the anointing is more than raw supernatural power to perform the works of God. Rather, it's tied deeply into your identity in Christ. Jesus was known as Jesus Christ. And Christ means anointed one. So not only was Jesus the Son of God challenged in his identity as such, but Christ, the anointed one of God, was challenged as well. So Jesus and Christ was challenged. Jesus Christ. And this challenge spoke to purpose. He came, of course, we know, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to set the captives free, and to bring forth the kingdom of God. And without the anointing, none of these things could be possible. To use his anointing and to use his power on things that did not bring forth these particular purposes for which he came would have wasted the anointing and rendered him ineffective even to save the world. And I think we have to start seeing ourselves as men of God, sons of God, in the same light. Because we have the same purpose that Jesus had when he came. And that is to redeem the world, redeem people, and to redeem the world, and to renew creation. And that's why we've been given the anointing to be an extension of who Christ is in the earth, to bring about salvation to the souls of, of mankind. But yet, when we don't know who we are in Christ, we don't know our purpose, we don't know uh, why we exist, we don't understand the power of God in our life, the anointing us upon us, the gifts that he's given to us, then we kind of flounder through life, wasting time, searching for it without actually just acknowledging it, seeing it and recognizing it and then moving in it. That is huge for us. So this challenge spoke to the purpose of God, but it also spoke to his destiny. We are challenged in the same way as well. Uh, we've been called for a specific purpose, every single one of you. It's different. It may look different, uh, but everyone has a specific purpose, and yet sometimes we waste our purpose on foolish gain. You know, I even look at uh, sometimes the way people use their gifts, but they use them within the context of their their own activity, their own uh, you know gain, trying to gain things from the gifts that they have, as opposed to glorifying God with it. And even people who use their gifts sometimes they want glory, they want a pat on the back, they want appreciation, as opposed to refusing that, sacrificing all of that in order to give it to God from where our anointing comes from. And so we exhaust the anointing sometimes on things that bring, that do not bring the purpose of God into fruition. And that's something we have to be aware of. Agreement with the Word of God confirmed His identity and anointing and frustrated the enemy. There's nothing I like better than to frustrate the enemy because the Lord knows He's frustrated me 
many times throughout my life. But once you get to a certain point in your life where you say, okay, I finally think i got a handle on some of these concepts and some of these principles, now I want to turn the table on the enemy. That's exactly what Jesus did. That's what made Jesus stand out from all... How many other people down through the ages has, has Satan approached? Maybe even thinking perhaps they might be the Messiah and he's challenging them. But no one passed the test. Jesus passed the test, proving himself to be the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One who came to deliver the world. And so it was all because he agreed with God and he refused to agree with Satan and it frustrated the devil. In verse 4 he says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus knew that physical bread makes its way through the body and it's gone. However, the word of God is eternal nourishment that shall sustain one for all time. And this did wonders in this confrontation. So, his identity was challenged. Think about how many times your identity is challenged. Think about how many times you know, you're tempted to do something contrary to what God wants you to do. And it's at that moment you lose focus on who you are as a son of God. And as a result, the anointing is challenged. Matter of fact, the anointing is weakened. You're not able to function in the anointing if you don't know who you are. And therefore, when you don't have anointing, you cannot fulfill your destiny. Because your destiny is, is tied up in Christ. And the only way you can fulfill Christ's purpose for your life is by the power of the Spirit of God. So it's important we know who we are. It's important we're empowered by that knowledge and that, that acknowledgement as well as that embrace. And we then are launched into our destiny. Let me give you some examples in Scripture of what that looks like. So Abraham, before he was Abraham, he was Abram. He lived in Iraq, actually, and uh, lived in a pagan place, uh, polytheistic society. His family worshipped false gods. But one day, God showed up sovereignly. Abr Abram wasn't looking for God. God showed up sovereignly and selected, elected, chose Abram out of this group of, of idolaters and said, Abram, I am calling you. I want you for myself. That's identity. God identified him as a man he wanted to start a nation with. And the good thing is, Abram responded. And so when God comes knocking on our door, it's a good thing to open the door, right? And so he, he responded. And then the second thing he did was he anointed him. Genesis chapter 12. He said, I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless your seed. And I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth because of what I'm going to do through you. It's not because of you, Abram. It's because of what I'm going to do through you. And so that's the anointing. So he got an identity. He got his anointing. And then God says, now I want you to leave and I want you to go to a place that I'll show you. That's destiny. And it took faith for Abram who eventually became Abraham, to get from this place of calling, this place of anointing, to the place of destiny. So there's always a gap between anointing and destiny. There's always a journey, and there's always going to be conflict and confrontation between anointing and destiny, which is what we saw in the life of Jesus. So that's an example of how identity, anointing, and destiny all work together. 
Another example of that is uh, Joseph. You remember Joseph was just a boy. And uh, his dad Jacob comes to him. And guess what Jacob does? He identifies Joseph as his favored son. My favorite son. It says he loved him more than all the others. Now, you know, whatever you think about that, I think, you know, there was favoritism there. But, hey, we understand why in the grand scheme of things. So he identified Joseph. Then what did he do? He makes him a coat of many colors, which represents what? The anointing. He puts that coat on his son, following the identity and then immediately, Joseph begins to operate in his gifts. He begins to interpret dreams. It's all right there, just within a few verses of each other. And his brothers then despised him and hated him because he was having these dreams of him ruling over his brothers. And Joseph, being young, was unwise in how he communicated that. But nonetheless, <laughs> he was operating in his gift. And of course, his brothers decided they were going to do away with this punk and uh, threw him in a pit. But the pit led him to the palace, which was his destiny. And he would have never got to his destiny if he had not operated in his anointing. And he would have never operated in his anointing had he not been identified the way he was as the one, the heir, who was going to take this whole plan of God forward, you see. And so there's a classic example in the life of Joseph. How about David? David's another guy. Samuel the prophet comes to Jesse's house looking for the next king of Israel and uh, you know of course goes through all the sons and God said nope that's not it that's not it not and finally he says you have any more sons well yeah there's, there's a little runt son out there tending sheep well bring him in as soon as David walks in God spoke to Samuel's heart and said that's him identity he was chosen and identified to be the next king so what does, what does Samuel do he takes a horn of oil and he anoints him right then and there. And immediately, David is launched out towards his destiny. The very next chapter, he goes out and confronts Goliath. Yeah. And so there's challenges before he reached his, the throne. I think it took 10 or so years, even maybe a few more than that, for him to finally get to where he's going. He had to face Goliath. He had to overcome Saul. I mean, there was all kinds of, of obstacles to his destiny. But his identity and his anointing enabled him to overcome all those obstacles in order to fulfill his destiny. And there's other examples I could give you, but then Jesus is, again, not only in the wilderness story, but let's go back earlier. Let's go to his baptism. What happens? He walks down into the waters where John the Baptist is, and a voice from heaven calls out and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. There you go. There's identity. Very clear now who he is. And then a dove descended, representing the anointing, resting, the Spirit of God resting upon Jesus. And immediately Jesus is launched into his ministry on his way to the cross, which was his destiny, to die on a cross and then to rise from the dead. So, again, this, this, this three-part little teaching here today has precedence throughout the scripture when we look at the great men who actually are representatives of true sons of God who were identified, who were anointed, and who went out to fulfill their destiny and their purpose for God.
So with all that said, what can we conclude relative to the purpose of God? What is the purpose of the Father? From Genesis to Revelation, what is the purpose of the Father? I'll, I'll say it this way. It is purely sonship. Sonship. It's to produce sons. This was his intention in creation, and it's been his work down through the ages. Scripture constantly communicates this truth to us, and, and there is, I believe, a new level of maturity being birthed in the church today through discipleship, through gatherings like this. I mean, this is part of the process and the pathway towards destiny. In this kind of process here this morning, you are becoming more keenly aware of who you are in Christ, of, of what power you have available to you through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that you have a purpose and a destiny. Now it's just a matter of how do I get from anointing to destiny? There's a pathway to journey. And so I believe that today in the 21st century, we are becoming more keenly aware of our calling and our purpose in the earth, and that is to be sons of God, mature sons of God. But like the serpent in the garden, and like Pharaoh in Egypt, and like Herod in Israel, this red dragon, as John calls him in the book of Revelation, shall, uh, is working to defeat the sons of God coming forth. There, it's still happening today. It's, it's, you know, we can look at all those different examples of how you know, Herod tried to keep Jesus from being uh, Jesus, trying to kill all the babies, just like Pharaoh tried to kill all the babies. Uh, just like Lucifer tried to snatch destiny from Adam and Eve. And so today, the red dragon is still working to keep us from understanding who we are in Christ so we don't fulfill our destiny and purpose. And we don't rise up in the church, and we don't become militant leaders and fathers and sons and, and, and apostolic people in order to carry the banner and carry the torch. And so today, I think there's a, a massive of revelation that's coming forth our way. If we'll grab a hold of it and run with it, I think we can change the world. I don't care what we see going on in the culture around us. I'm not intimidated by what's happening in the world today. I'm actually excited and enthusiastic because the, the distinctions between the wheat and the tares are being drawn. It's becoming clearer and clearer who's on the Lord's side and who's not. It's Moses standing you know, on that rock at the foot of Sinai looking out over the valley and saying, who is on the Lord's side? Let him come to me. And I believe that's the call that's going out right now. And you're starting to see uh, the battle lines being drawn and uh, the sides are being uh, taken. But the ministry of discipleship must be fully embraced in order to fulfill the will of God in this matter of sonship. God's purpose is always to produce sons. Now, He's a relational God, right? That's why we call him Father. A father in pursuit of righteous seed and a ruling family. That's been the plan of God. The narrative of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is this one thing. We don't need to overcomplicate the Scripture by seeing multiple purposes and multiple things going on. There's just one thing on God's mind. And he's communicating that through all of these different stories in all these different ways to ultimately have for himself a family, a remnant seed that will rule with him. And it's the fundamental message that the church must get back to. And so Jesus came to be the pattern son. He said in John 14, 9, He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? 
you've seen me, you've seen him. If you've heard me, you've heard him. I only say what the Father says, and I only do what the Father does. So Jesus is the pattern son that came to earth to model sonship so that we might become the sons of God as we should. As to many of them who has believed, we've been given power to become what? The sons of God. And so this is our pattern to live as model sons in the world today. We are to reveal the Father. We are to reveal the Father in our personal life, of course, but in our homes as husbands and as fathers to our children. And in the church, we're to reveal the Father in the way in which we interact with the body of Christ. And so this is the pattern that we've been given. This is the identity that we've been given. This is the anointing that we've been given. You have everything you need to do it. It's just a matter of coming into agreement with who you are and what you have. And you're willing to serve and fulfill that particular destiny in your life. But Jesus not only was the pattern son, he was the producer of sons. I mean, we, we look at that and we say that there was the emergence of sons under Jesus' leadership. And I shared this a little bit with the, with the elders last night, but the first sermon preached by Jesus is found in Matthew 4, 17. And here's what he says. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right? That's the first message he ever preached. In other words, what the, the, the kingdom of God is within reach simply means this, is that or, or is that hand it means it's within reach the kingdom of God is at hand which means it's within reach in other words Jesus says it's right there for the taking now Jesus then went out and showed how the kingdom of God would be reached how it would be taken hold of now watch this he immediately went out and began to model it so he preached the message then he said now watch me I'm going to demonstrate how the kingdom can be taken hold of. And so he goes out and he starts, what? Producing sons. He goes to the seashore and he finds this, these fishermen out tending their nets and he walks along the Sea of Galilee and he calls unto himself sons. In Matthew 4.19, he says, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Right? Okay. Now, why did he use that terminology? Because that was the terminology they would best understand in their present context, okay? Because they're fishermen. You're fishing for fish, but if you'll come follow me, I'll, i got something better. Listen, you come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Now let me give you a deeper way of thinking about what Jesus really was saying. He was using that terminology because that's all they could understand at that level of, of insight. But what he was really saying was this. Come be my sons, and I will make you fathers to many. Come be my sons, and I will make you fathers to many. That's really what he was saying to them. But they wouldn't have understood that. They only understood it in fishing terms. But they grew to understand that, because they ultimately became spiritual fathers to many as they birthed churches and planted churches and raised up spiritual sons and daughters in the Lord. They became apostles eventually. They were disciples at this point, but they eventually became apostles. And what does that mean? 
here, here's what I see in that. I see that disciples, and I would say everyone around this table is a disciple of Jesus at different levels maybe, at different places in your spiritual journey, but we're all disciples, and that means we're all sons. But it doesn't necessarily mean we're all mature sons. Some might be more mature than others. I don't know. I don't know you that well. But a mature son is an, is an apostolic has an apostolic orientation or an apostolic spirit on them. Now here's how I see that. They were disciples until Jesus went away, until Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and then commissioned them, you know, to be apostles and prophets, Ephesians 4. The amount of ascension. He gave the ascension gifts. And he said, now you go out and you function as apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, fivefold ministry. All five of those are apostolic in nature. So I'm, I'm releasing you to be apostles. What was he saying? Now you're mature sons. You've been sons because you've been disciples. Now you're mature sons, and I call you apostles. Go and reproduce. Only mature sons can reproduce. And that's what God, I think, is saying today to us and to the church of the 21st century. I'm ready for the, an apostolic people to emerge, a mature people to emerge who can produce sons and daughters in the Spirit. But you have to be a son. You have to recognize who you are. You have to acknowledge the anointing and start functioning in the anointing in order to achieve that destiny, which is our purpose in reproducing ourselves in the lives of other people. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So, so come be my sons and I will make you fathers of many. And then they became mature sons, as we know, in time. I want to stop right there, and i got more to say, but I, I just feel like maybe there's some interaction that needs to take place, some dialogue, some questions, some comments. And uh, I just feel like this is a good place to do that. So what are you hearing? What is, what is the Spirit of God saying to you in anything that's been said? Well, this is timely because just well, not, within the last week or two, I've been wrestling with, with my identity. Mm -hmm. Just, uh, mm -hmm. uh, am I saved? Do I know the Lord? Mm -hmm. You know, I've never really had doubts like that, but they've kind of been cropping up. And uh, it seemed like I talked to somebody and they said, well, look up scriptures that talk about sonship. Uh, anyway, this is, this is very timely. The only thing I could come up with when I came under what I felt was the Lord's discipline recently is I thought, well, that's proof of sonship. Mm. You know, he's disciplining me. That's right. He only chastises those who belong to him. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I can uh, piggyback on just how timely it is, because you know, as Damascus, you know that what, what we're doing is, I mean, you are like that's the message we're doing. What's called kazono, because would you know what kazono means? Mm -hmm. Which is vision, which is purpose. Mm -hmm. And we just got through doing this whole week thing on identity. Who we are, 
and uh, sonship. And, and but I really like what you just said there at the end. You know that um, you know, we're disciples at different levels, but then we mature. And the ultimate destiny is to be apostles. I, mean, I, I just yeah. that was powerful. That really spoke to me. Yeah, that that helps me to know I heard the Lord. <laughs> yeah, you definitely, yeah, you, know. you definitely did. I mean, we, we actually just what Thursday? Yeah, we did the whole thing on Joseph, uh -oh. the whole story of Joseph and how you could see his God's purpose on him and how he developed, you know, through his spiritual gifts and how he used his spiritual gifts. Mm -hmm. You know, he was, you know, and you know how he he could have just said, you know, well, I'm you've been put in charge, you know, on this, but he was always he used. It used it in humility and yeah. gentleness, and you know, and then he would go back to prison. And go, it was like a pattern, yeah. you know. God was shaping him, and then he realized, you know, what the he was the whole purpose was is to you know save the whole nation of Israel. That's right. And it was, yeah. I don't know. I was just very tight. Awesome. I could say. Yeah. So, uh, I know God. you guys were. Yeah. Rob, when you sat down, you said uh, you were talking about focus. Uh, when the pandemic hit, everything that God had. But the Spirit told me what was gonna, where I was gonna be, was coming, was coming. Yeah, you, know, you can see it. Mm -hmm. And then the pandemic hit, and it shut everything down. The churches shut down and all that. And where I'm at right now was, uh, I was telling myself, why, why am I wrestling with my identity? You know, I know God loves me. I know I'm His son. But why does this feeling? Why, why am I feeling like this? Mm -hmm. Not focused. I didn't keep my focus. When everything fell away, and I was sitting there with myself at the house, you know, and wasn't going to church, wasn't reading my Bible, you know, wasn't praying. All of that stuff right there was just like focus is gone, shattered. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've been struggling with these past few months is to get back, get my focus back, you know. Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, you're right on time with everything that you've been saying. <clears throat> I like uh, as you made the parallel of what God was really saying was I'm going to make you fathers of, of many. That's exactly what he told Abraham. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's intention or not, but God has an intention of that, of repeating that same example he, mm -hmm. from the very beginning to the to the to Jesus too. And so uh, yeah, so coming up with that the identity and your destiny, um, I think that. Absolutely, that's God's intent there. Yeah. Yeah. With everything crazy in the world right now, you know, uh, all the people, it seems like going, it's like worshiping idols, you know. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. I heard that Caitlyn Jenner was going to run for governor of California. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. and, and you're, going, you're going, how in the world people be so stupid? <laughs> well, so it's so easy for us as humans to lose our focus. Yeah. What we need to do, though, and what I realized through what you were saying, it kind of hit me that I need to f refocus on the Lord and not the nuts. <laughs> you know, yeah. the, the Lord will take care of him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we are being divided, and it's, it's definitely back when I was growing up, there was good people that weren't Christians, and then there was Christians that went to church. And, uh, but now it seems like there's so many people that are not good people, <laughs> and you can almost see them dividing now. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's becoming more clear. Yeah. Uh, so we just need to focus on the Lord and not on the crazy yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, we, we need to be against the crazy stuff, 
But we also would do, the, do that through focusing on the Lord. I think that's a, that's a really good point because I think the church has become distracted. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like this, uh, what do they use it in the misdirection. The, the enemy uses misdirection to get the church off course. And we've become so politically motivated, we have lost our grip on spiritual reality. And our focus is to stay the course. It's to stay focused, it's to stay in the Word, to stay to the task that's before us, to know who we are, to function in the anointing, and to stay on track to fulfill the destiny that God has planned for us. Not what the world is saying. You know, we don't we have to worry about what the media is saying, what the world's saying. It's pretty clear what their agenda is. We have to just not get Sometimes we can get so angry and upset. It's like in sports, you know, because I've played ball all my life. And if you could get the other team rattled, yeah, <laughs> then you got you get get in their head. That's right. You that's get exactly them what I was emotionally, and, and that's exactly what the devil's trying to do to the church. And that's what he was trying to do to Jesus. Think about how Jesus stayed on track. He just kept quoting the Word of God. He said, "The Word of God says, man shall not." Live by bread alone. The word of God says. The word of God says. See, if Adam and Eve had just repeated what God had told them to the enemy, the enemy would have left. He'd have left frustrated. Yeah. But what we do is we want to argue with the world in worldly ways, yeah. and that yeah. never that never works. Yeah. And so anyway, lost people are going to act like lost people. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Someone else. You know, um, one of the things about that I've come to realize about me is, you know, I just want to be a good. I want to be a good example as a father, and I've raised uh, stepsons to stepfather to father, and and then eventually, you know, Lord led me to be a foster dad, which I was for several years, and then now the stuff down at the border, of course. My, my lovely wife Susie, she she's got the heartbeat of God all the time. She's like, we need to do something. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, we got this big old house. Our son's about to leave, and we were having our granddaughters stay with us part of the time, and, and we'll have an empty house. Just give me a month. <laughs> but um, we want to really do that. And I was just thinking when you were talking about identity, that's something that I've always since I can remember as a small child, I always wanted to be a dad. I always wanted to be a father. And uh, so I'm excited at the prospect of not so much be distracted by all, all the stuff that's going on, but just engaging where I can engage. I know what I am good at doing. I can do that. I can help uh, some of these poor children that are just being used as pawns of the devil, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever reason. Well, we, we ultimately know Jesus wins. Yes. And so we, we should be comforted by the fact that no matter what's going on, he's still sovereign, he's still in control, and he's overseeing everything. He, even the things that go wrong, he's still in charge. And everything is for the ultimate purpose and glory of God. Everything. 
and we may not understand it from our human perspective because sometimes we we can't we can't imagine that God would allow that to happen or not stop that or, or, or so on and so forth but God has this big picture in mind he sees the whole picture and we only see we don't even see you know grains of sand you know about that much is about what we see and so we just have to keep that in mind and stay the stay the course you know I'm, I'm a son of God God's got a purpose for me I have to fulfill you know David it says in the Bible that David fulfilled his purpose in his generation he couldn't he couldn't fulfill other people's purposes and try to fix everything and fix everybody but he fulfilled his purpose within his generation and that's all you and I can do. But it's going to take discipline, self-discipline. And that's, that tends to be our greatest weakness, is we're not nearly as disciplined as we... And that's discipline is being a disciple, right? And so a disciple becomes disciplined to the point of maturity so that then you can reproduce what you are. You want to reproduce what you are. And, and you know, the question is, what are you? Is that worthy of reproducing? And if not, let's get to the place where we are. Yeah. You know, we, we're content with being able to say, okay, I can reproduce what I am now because I may not be perfect, but I'm, I'm to that place where God would be pleased for something to come forth from me. I read a scripture. If it's come to I, that. Yeah. <laughs> I read, so while you were talking, some, something that just came up in my, in fact, I put it in the notes because it, it was a reminder for me. Um, I was probably about 15 years old and the Lord, I was reading the Bible and the Lord just, you know, <coughs> burned this verse of scripture to my memory. It's Second Timothy 2 verse 4, but I'm going to read verse 3 as well. Uh, it says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled into the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. And, uh, you know, I'm just thinking about, you know, what you said about being distracted by the, just everything going on in the world. Instead of being focused on the gospel and on, you know, Christ and, and uh, I, I was, of course, I mean, a teenager. I didn't know what to do with this. I actually went and bought an unprinted set of dog tags. And I had my name imprinted on one, and I had 2 Timothy 2.4 imprinted, imprinted on the other. And I wore those to school every single day. And I, um, when someone would ask me, what's, what's that about? I would be like, well, you know, one has my name, but the other one is a reminder that Christ has set me apart to be his soldier and so I'm, I'm not about the things of this world which led to a lot of interesting conversations um, but it was a reminder for me and like I feel like my whole life has been the Lord bringing me back around to that that word yeah. like this is what you're called to you know I'll drift a little bit you know when in the in the church planting and mission world we call that mission drift when you just start to lose sight of, the, of what God has called you to, to, to do but I've, I've found this to be a cycle in my life. You know, here I am drifting a little bit, and then the Lord will remind me, remember what I called you to do? You remember who, who you are in me? And he, like, pulls me back in. You're, you're my son. You're a soldier in my army. You know, you got one purpose, and that is to help me fulfill the great commission in this world, you know? And, um, and so I, I don't know. I just, I, 
I found that to be incredibly helpful in my life. But it's, it really, what we're talking about right now, this is, this is it. Like, what are we focused on? On the topic of identity, um, ever since I've come back to my walk, uh, I've, that's what I've uh, been hungering for is identity. So I looked at so many scriptures and so many uh, different preachings on it and everything else. And one of the ones that stuck with me is if you love, them, if you love me, I'll obey my commandments. And so I would always struggle with, uh, well, Lord, I love you, but I'm struggling with so many things. And uh, I know who I am in you or at least I think I do, but why am I struggling with all these things? And uh, when you were talking about focus, it kind of clicked for me. I'm not focused. Like, uh, I thought of, you know, you know, I kind of thought it'd be more of a, a natural state to kind of get into it because I love the Lord that I would fall into that. But if I'm not focused on it the way I should be, then that's not going to happen. Yeah. yeah, I think sometimes we think that once we make a decision for Christ, it's just it's done. But there's still, I mean, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. And so we have to learn how to master our flesh. And that takes discipline, it takes focus, it takes uh, striving. We strive, you know. And, 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 but, but when we say strive, we have to understand strive within the context of the scriptures because you know you strive but you strive in the context of rest because you're striving in Christ you're not striving in your flesh in other words it's not me trying to obey but it's me surrendering to the power of Christ which then leads me into obedience and so my trust and my my faith is in the power of the Lord not in the power of me because if it's me having to do it, it becomes a religion. But if it's me trusting the Spirit of God, it becomes a relationship. And the relational dynamic is that Christ empowers us to be as He is versus me trying to be me but do a good thing in compliance with the law. See, that's, that's the difference in law and grace. The law is important, but we don't try to keep the law in the energy of our flesh. We, the law is kept by the power of grace. See, law and grace are not in conflict with each other. And yeah. a lot of theologians try yeah. to make it, well, so you, you're either of law or of grace. No. No. Works is important. But the only way we can work the works of God is by grace. So grace is the power of God that enables... Here's a definition for grace. Grace is the power of God that enables me to do what I cannot do in my natural ability. I'll say it again, because it's a powerful definition if you really think into it. Grace is the power of God that enables me to do what I can't do in my natural ability. Because in me, there's no way I can obey. The only thing I can do in me is disobey and rebel and lust and, and be greedy and be a liar and be a cheat. That's, that's what's in your flesh. So it takes the power of God to counter all those things in me as I simply surrender and rest in Him. But it takes discipline to surrender. It takes focus to surrender. It takes the Word of God and the power of God, the Spirit of God working together that I surrender to. I put myself under 
the power of the Word and the power of the Spirit, and then and then I surrender to it. Now, I still have to walk it out, but I'm walking it out in that power, not in me. I'm walking it out in that power, the power of the Word and power of the mm-hmm. Spirit. So, how do we get the power of the Word in us? We got to be in the Word. Yeah. That's the discipline. Mm-hmm. We got to be in the Word. How do we get the power of the Spirit? We got to be in the Spirit. Yeah. We got to surrender every day. We get up in the morning. We go. Okay, Holy Spirit, I'm yours. Yeah. I can't do this. You're going to have to help me. So I'm surrendering to you. So now you do it, and I'll hang on to you. And and we stay focused. So when temptation comes, we go, wait, nope, I'm not looking that way. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking at her. I'm not thinking of that. I'm not listening yeah. to that. I'm not going there to that place. Holy Spirit, you cry out to God. Empower me to turn away. Thus saith the word of God in me, right? So that's the discipline. That's that's a constant. And and as you do that, then you become disciplined and self-controlled. And the more you do it, the more it becomes second nature. Your first nature is not what you want to operate in. Your first nature is Adam. Your second nature is Christ. Amen. So you want it to become second nature. That's the discipline. Sorry, I got on a roll there. That's okay. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. I appreciate it. And like grace, the power of God to do what I cannot do in my natural ability. And my, my, my church hears that every Sunday. Mm-hmm. I, somewhere in my, I don't care if I'm preaching on tithing, uh, <laughs> that, that definition yeah. comes up. Yeah. Know. I want them to know it. I want they sleep it. Now, now I go. What's what's the definition of grace? And the whole congregation goes, "Power of God that enables me to do what I cannot do in natural ability." I'm like, no, say it like you mean it. It's the power of God <laughs> that enables me. But anyway, yeah, that's that's so important. If we remember that, we we trust and depend upon the grace of God, and that's the Spirit of God. So let me just say one few more things in conclusion, kind of in conclusion. We'll have another round of questions maybe that gets uh, provoked here. So let's talk about this in a prophetic context. So God is raising up sons in the earth. So let's think about that prophetically. So the timing of the Father is what I like to think of as the third day. Everybody say third day. Third day. Good man. Yeah. <laughs> so, if you think about it from the time of Christ, we're in the third millennium. You know, the Bible says a thousand years is a day, a day is a thousand years. I, I, I don't think that that was just some kind of random statement. I think there's some prophetic insight into that. So, if we think about that since the time of Christ, we just started the third millennium or the third day since Christ which I believe is prophetic in the sense that we're living in a time when God is really wanting the sons of God to really be made manifest. Because if we go back to the very beginning, we could say God really manifested a display of sonship every 2,000 years. You know, um, you know, depending on if you believe in old earth or new earth, you know, we're not going to get into all that science. And stuff. <laughs> but let's just, let's just look at this prophetically. So let's say Adam... 2,000 years after Adam was Moses, 2,000 years after Moses was Jesus, and 2,000 years after Jesus is us. Hmm. So we see Adam being first son of God, 
really, in the physical dimension. And then we see Moses being raised up to be an expression of sonship in that he became the great lawgiver, but yet the deliverer, you know, of Israel to become the people of God or the sons of God, the manifestation of a nation of sons, priests, prophets, and kings as well, which is all part of being a son. And then 2,000 years after that, Jesus, the perfect Son of God, comes to display the Father as the great grace giver. So we have Moses, the lawgiver. We have Jesus, the grace giver. And then 2,000 years after that, in the third day, a third millennium, we see, again, the manifestation of many sons in the glory, right? The church rising up. So with that kind of as a backdrop, when we go through the scripture and we look at third days, it's interesting what third days represent throughout scripture. For example, on the third day of creation, the Father separated the waters from the dry ground. He created seed and he called forth vegetation. So the third day represents fruitfulness, bringing forth or reproducing. Again, what do fathers do? They reproduce. Mm -hmm. The process of fruit bearing and reproduction came into physical reality on the third day of creation. In Genesis 22:4, Abraham looked up on the third day and he saw the place of sacrifice when he was taking Isaac and they were going to Mount Moriah. And he saw the place of sacrifice. He saw the place which represents resurrection and the restoration. It wasn't just the sacrifice of Isaac because we know he, he never had to carry through with that. But what we saw is we saw the restoration of the son of promise on the third day. In Genesis 42:18, Joseph began the process of restoration in the lives of his brothers, and it says there in that passage of Scripture, on the third day, after they came on the third day, he began the process of restoration, of revelation of who he was and all that process in the lives of his brothers that would ultimately lead to the restoration of a whole nation. In Ezra 6:15, the temple was completed on the third day, it says, and all Israel rejoiced. Why is, it, why is it important for these third days to be pointed out? It's not the second day, it's not the fifth day, it's the third day. Because prophetically we see a pattern in Scripture that God is trying to communicate to us. There's something important about the third days throughout Scripture. In Esther 5.1, Esther was received as queen. It says, on the third day, as she approached the king in royal apparel, she received the scepter as it was extended, giving full authority to ask whatever she wanted. So again, that's a prophetic symbol of maturity and coming into royalty, coming into rulership, just like the sons of God being manifested in glory. And glory is not a place. Glory is a condition. Okay? And then in Hosea 6, 1 through 3, it's declared that the Lord will revive us in two days. And then it says, but on the third day, he will restore us. So revival's going on, but on the third day, there's a restoration. In other words, you're positioned in that final place of maturity, rulership, and royalty. In John 2, I'm sorry, Luke 13, 32, Jesus says, Tell Herod, today and tomorrow I will drive out demons, but on the third day, I'm going to accomplish my father's will or my goal so now I'm doing the work in the first and the second day but on the third day everything that I'm doing is coming to pass destiny will be fulfilled as a result of my identity and my anointing in Luke 13 32 Jesus says oh that's what I just said in John 2 1 Jesus attended a wedding at Cana and it says on the third day third day of the wedding because they had you know long celebrations but on the third day he performed the miracle revealing him to be the son of God 
It was that miracle that revealed himself to be the Son of God. In 1 Corinthians 15, 4, it declares that Jesus died, was buried, rose again, of course, on the third day. So we can look at how God dealt with Israel and, and throughout the Scripture and determine to a large extent how he proposes to lead us, the church of the 21st century, the sons and daughters of God. In Exodus 19, and this is the final part of this, this is really, really cool. Uh, the scripture says, The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and let them be ready for the third day. Let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, he goes on to say, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all his people. In other words, God's going to show up and be present when? On the third day. But before that, you've got to prepare yourself. You've got to mature. You've got to be disciplined. You've got to be discipled. You've got to be focused. All the things we've talked about, that's all in preparation for this emerging of the sons of God in the glory of God. All right? Now, there's three things that happened when God came down on Mount Sinai that we need to be looking for today in this third day uh, on the timeline of God. So, on the third day when he came down, the first thing he did is he gave them a revelation of his manifested presence. God gave Israel a revelation of his manifested presence. Not just his omnipresence, because his omnipresence was already understood. God is everywhere at all times because creation is not he is above creation because creation came out of him therefore he's bigger than creation which means God is everywhere that's omnipresence right but this moment in time is when God manifested his or revealed his manifested presence manifested presence is different than omnipresence manifested presence when God comes in space and time and it is a particular location for a particular reason. And so that's what happened on the third day before Israel, is God gave them a revelation of his manifested presence. And I believe that we're living in a time when God is wanting to give us a revelation of his manifested presence. Not just that he's everywhere, and we, we understand God gen generally is present. And we're two or more gathered, there he is, you know, but but we don't really experience him. We just kind of have to have faith that he's hovering around in the invisible atmosphere, right? Yeah. But the day has come when tomorrow morning when we gather, God's going to give us a revelation of his manifested presence, which means he's going to be so present that it is, it is so clear that we're all experiencing his manifested presence. Awesome. Right? So that's the, third, that's the third day experience. But we have to have faith. We have to, we have to know who we are. We have to know whose we are in order for that reality to be, be authentic. And so again, it's about focus. It's about faith. It's about being disciplined. It's about being in tune. It's about you know, surrendering our heart and letting no obstacles and no cultural uh, distractions affect the ability for us to actually experience His manifested presence because God wants to be present more than we want him to be present. Yeah. Second, second thing, uh, um, well, in his manifested presence, we see that Jesus is going to release his government to his people in the third day. Okay, that's where, where we come to in the second point. He gave them a revelation of his covenantal promises. So the first thing he did on that third, and you can read all this for yourself, and you can see it. 
If we just read that verse about him coming on the third day and stop there and get excited and you know do our Pentecostal stuff, that's that's not good enough. We have to keep reading the scripture and see okay, what did God do when he came on the third day? Well, I'm telling you, first he gave them a revelation of his manifested presence. Second, it scared Israel to death because they were all going, Moses, no, you just keep meeting with God because his manifested presence is too much and too overwhelming for us. Okay. The second thing he did, he gave them a revelation of his covenantal promises. He gave them, and what that means is this, he gave them the blueprints for the kingdom and the building of the temple. The blueprint for the kingdom was and is the covenant, right? He gave them the covenant, and he said, build me a tabernacle, which will make it possible for the Father to dwell with them consistently. In other words, they won't lose his manifested presence, but he will always be with them in that form. It's not just that he'll be everywhere in the atmosphere, but he will now manifest himself in a given time and space called the tabernacle. That's powerful. That is powerful. And that's the same here. So guess what? We are the tabernacle. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we, every day, can experience the manifested presence of God in our lives if we're focused, if we're in faith. That's right. Okay? So it was, on, it, was, it was at this particular time that it made it possible for him to dwell with men. Third thing, he gave them a revelation of his governmental principles. Here's what that means. It means in the, on the third day, the Father is releasing the heavenly pattern for establishing his church and expanding his kingdom in the earth. So the more we experience his manifested presence and we, we become partakers of the covenantal promises yes. on a daily basis, every time we do that, another aspect of kingdom is released in the earth. In our, in our family, which is where it starts, in our, in our heart, but then in our families, and then in our church, and then in our communities. And so our, our role as sons is to release the kingdom of God by how we have faith in God and how we experience His manifested presence in our own lives because you cannot be the same if you experience His manifested presence in an ongoing, permanent way. Your life, you, you will stay focused. You will stay pure. You will stay holy. Now, it doesn't mean you'll be perfect, but you will stay in that state of, in that place more than it being a stage. There's two, there's two things you have to always remember. There's stages we go through, but there's a state that we can be in. A stage is a temporary, momentary experience or, or a passageway. A state is a permanent condition. I don't want to go through stages of revival. I want to live in revival. Amen. So it's not about a stage, it's about getting in that state, in that permanent place of residence where the manifested presence of God is there. And that's what he was revealing to them. And so it was only after the Father established his government over his people, and again, this is what Israel was having under Moses' leadership, having to receive what God was doing on the third day, manifested presence, covenantal promises, governmental principles. And once the governmental principles were established... Here's what happened. Israel came to understand how God had, had dealt with them. For example, while they were in Egypt, while they were in Egypt, God worked for them. When they came out of Egypt and went into the wilderness, God worked in them. 
when they went into the promised land, God began to work through them. You see the difference? In Egypt, he worked for them. They didn't even recognize it. He was working on their behalf for 400 years, but they were like, they felt like they were abandoned. But God was always working for them. Then he brought them out into the wilderness, and guess what? That was a process of preparing them and getting them ready for their destiny. They didn't quite know who they were yet. So they had to learn who they were. They had to stop operating a slave mentality and start operating as sons. Right? You got that? So they were slaves in Egypt. They were becoming sons in the wilderness so that they could fulfill their destiny as mature sons in the promised land. So in Egypt, God worked for them. In the wilderness, God worked in them. But then finally, in the promised land, once they matured and got through that whole wandering state stage, they were able, God was able to work through them to route all the enemies to the purposes and to the plans of God. That's what God is doing in us, gentlemen. We have to get beyond a slave mentality where God's working for us. We have to get beyond a wilderness where he's just working in us, although he'll always be working in us, but simultaneously he'll work in us and work through us. But we've got to get to the through part where God is working through us in order to overcome all the enemies to the plans and purposes of God. The enemy is not working against you. The, wor the enemy is working against God's plans and purposes in you. See, that's, that's where we get all bent out of shape sometimes. We think, the enemy's after me. The enemy's after No, he's not after you. He's after the plans of God that are in you. He wants to keep them hidden. He wants to keep you from acknowledging and knowing that there's plans of God in you that have to get out of you. God wants to work through you with those plans and purposes, but sometimes we shut God off because we're distracted or we're depressed or we're not focused or whatever. Does that make sense? Amen. Yes. Wow. So let me stop there. I've got tons more, but I um, can't go there. <laughs> when are you going to write this in a book? Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 I'm serious. I'm really yeah, serious. Yeah, that's I'm good. I'd buy it. You should. Yeah. Sign us up for I've about 25 that before. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, that's good. I, can, I can make this available. I, yeah. yeah. You know, available. one thing that I think is really can, important. Can, 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 I'm sorry. Can I? No. Yeah, go um, I believe that that's really God's will. Mm. And, um, and we need it. Okay. And, and we can use it. The church can use this, mm -hmm. and it can be multiplied and broken, because he take you know because he he receives, he breaks, he blesses, and he breaks, and then he gives it. And, and you've received it, and, and you've it's been broken into you, and he's blessed it in you, mm -hmm. and now he, he wants to disseminate it, you know, in, a, in another that. format. I receive that. Thank you. I, it, I mean, this piggybacks on exactly what you're saying, Dwight, because this, this independently, I mean, like, of each other, you know, we had written our mission statement for the church a couple of years ago now, and we picked out these three things that we felt like the Lord was leading us towards, and that was we wanted to, we want to make disciples who are being in Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus would do if he were us. And everything, when Randy was sharing this last night, I was like, this is exactly what, like, this is what we have felt like God gave us to accomplish. It's the same thing. It's just in different words. But, I mean, the being is about the identity. The becoming is about the anointing. And the doing is about, you know, it's about the destiny. What, and so, 
Uh, in fact, I'm writing course, you know, I've got enough, I've got the pastor in me. I'm sitting here writing. I'm like, man, this is awesome because I'm, I'm like, this is probably going on the website. Like, <laughs> this is some good expansion of these ideas. But, uh, and so I just wanted to point that out that God's doing something here, bringing Randy with these ideas. And he's actually, he's adding to and, and growing these concepts for us that God already has building here. And then I guess, uh, it's up to us to do something with that. Mm. That's always the challenge, isn't it? Activation. Activation. Mm. Yeah, if information doesn't become revelation, uh, it'll never become manifestation. And I think that's it's important. Because I think a lot of churches have a lot of information, but it hasn't become revelation in other words it's revealed truth to the heart you know information is is revealed knowledge to the mind but revelation is revealed truth to the heart and and the manifestation is is a, a revealed action to the world and so it's got to get there i'm always thinking about <clears throat> i'm thinking about government in early government as God was revealing. You got prophets, priests, and kings in the Old Testament, that's a three mm-hmm. that you know did, didn't all appear on the scene at the same time, you know, gradually, you know, as, as the nation grew. Then another verse that's always been attractive to me is uh, Isaiah thirty-three twenty-two. The Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, and the Lord is our king. Mm-hmm. So there's another threefold government right there. Actually which, you know, we think of our nation's experience. We have we have judicial, you know, legislative and, and executive, which you know match these things right here. There's a history behind that. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, when you think of uh, of three uh, three in government, you know, it's, it's throughout mm-hmm. throughout scripture. You know, it's usually in that. It's usually stated in that order. This, I'm glad you said that because this was another part seeing how the Holy Spirit works here of, of the teaching and that is instead of saying prophet, priest, and king it's actually the, the, the right order is priest, prophet, and king because if we go all the way back to the garden you know and this is a whole other teaching that I'm going to be careful not to try to get off on because it takes another two hours here this morning <laughs> but um, in the garden Adam and Eve were called to be priests prophets and kings that was the dominion mandate so you have to think about it this way the garden was not a garden like we think of in other words Adam and Eve were not put in the garden to to plant shrubs and to trim bushes that was not what they were in the garden for The, the garden is a metaphor for the temple the garden was a temple and it's proof when you study the tabernacle and the temple because the temple and the tabernacle in the wilderness and in Israel is designed as a garden when you go in the, the way that it had all the tree of life in there the golden candlesticks represents the tree of life so everything in the temple and the tabernacle was designed as a garden why? because it was a picture of God's dwelling place. The Garden of Eden was a garden in Eden. 
it wasn't that wasn't the only thing about Eden was the garden. No, Eden was a larger place. In other words, Eden was the palace of the king, God. So Eden was not Adam and Eve's home. It was God's home. And Adam and Eve were servants of God tending a garden that was in Eden, so to speak. And the garden was the temple, the place of worship. And so their whole responsibility was priestly. They were priests in the palace of the king. Okay, So we have to rethink the Garden of Eden. And, and, and one of the best ways to do that is read, read, I don't remember the books, a bunch of books by John Walton. Just write that name down, look him up. And he, he talks a lot, he teaches a lot on this. And he's a theologian who knows his stuff. John Walton, W-A-L-T-O-N. And then there's another guy, uh, Gregory K. Bill, B-E-A-L-E. Both those guys write a lot on this. But anyway, the point is this. They were priests first. They were prophets, and they were kings. And that was who, that was their identity. That's our identity. As sons, we're priests, prophets, and kings. As priests, they failed in their priestly duties when they, you see, the sin in the garden was not disobedience. The sin in the garden was idolatry that led to disobedience. They were idolatrous because in their heart they wanted to be like God. Right? So it didn't start with them eating. The sin wasn't them eating the, fr the fruit. That was the manifestation or the acting out of the sin that was already in their heart the moment they started thinking they could be like God. That's idolatry. So that idolatry immediately disqualified them from their priestly duty because they were no longer now ushering worship to God. They were receiving worship for themselves. They were worshiping themselves, thinking themselves that they could be like God. They also they lost their prophetic anointing when they stopped believing the word of God and started believing the word of the enemy. Isn't that what the prophetic the prophetic is all about? Receiving the word of God and delivering the word of God. That's what Jesus did in the wilderness. He received the word of God and he delivered the word of God to Lucifer and that's how he overcame. He overcame the enemy by the prophetic word. Adam and Eve lost their role in the garden because they did not maintain their prophetic role by speaking the word of God to the serpent when he was telling them what they should be doing. So they lost their priestly duty through idolatry. They lost their prophetic anointing because they refused to exercise the prophetic word of God. And they lost their kingly royal rule when they ate of the fruit and acted out their disobedience, acted out their idolatry. They lost their kingship. They no longer had dominion over the garden, which meant they no longer had dominion potential over the world. See, the goal of God was, if you rule the garden, I'll allow you to rule the globe. And if you rule the globe well, I'll let you rule the galaxies. But they failed in the garden and never got to ruling the globe. But that's what God's commissioned us to do. For he says, I will receive the nations as my inheritance. But guess what? That's our inheritance. 
what the scripture says. It's our inheritance as the nations. So, so we still have the potential to fulfill what Adam and Eve could not fulfill in their priestly, prophetic, and kingly duties. We are called to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a royal family, right? There it is, priestly, prophetic, and kingly. So that's why this whole teaching is important. We have to know who we are, whose we are, and we function in the roles that are related to our identity. We are priests, prophets, and kings. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise, especially the devil. That's good. Amen. Amen. I know we're about out of time, fellas, so... Sorry. Uh, no, that's good. I think that... <laughs> I get excited. I'm going to tell you what, I'm not disappointed that that took a while. That was really good. Um, and important. Um, uh, Pastor Dwight, would you close us in prayer? you cause scales to fall from our eyes and we will see you we'll see you in the morning see you in creation and see you at work in the news and see you in our families and neighbors and our workplaces of God Lord we'll see our identity in you in all these relations and roles and responsibilities and not succumb to the frustration, God, because we don't yet see everything under your feet. So, Lord, thank you for this remembrance today. And Lord, every remembrance you give us in the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the cup and in the opening of your word and the fellowship and worship together, oh God. Yes. And in our closets, Lord, remind us, oh God. We thank you and pray a returning of grace and strength, Lord, and rest for Randy the rest of this day, oh God, and for Tammy and the preparation for tomorrow morning. And let us come prepared, oh God, and let our families and others come, come, Lord Jesus, as sons and daughters to be remade in you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen to the New Covenant Fellowship podcast. We want to connect with you. You can visit us online at ncfokc.org for more information about our church. 
God spoke to you and you'd like prayer, please text us at 405-518-5164 and we will get back with you. God bless and have a great day.